The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Edmonton has been working hard to eliminate homelessness, but we know that it continues to be a challenge. A recent report suggests for many wanting a good night's sleep, the River Valley is better than a homeless shelter, and there's many re- uh, reasons for that. Ward 6 City Councillor Scott McKean asked for the report. He joins us this afternoon. Hey, Scott. Hey, Jalen. Nice to uh, nice to talk to you again. It's been a while. It has been a while. Nice to hear from you. You know what? Uh, before we get to, to that, I also want to, uh, later on in the show, like 3 o'clock, going to be talking about the apology that came today uh, from the Edmonton yeah. Police Service. And I know Mayor Iveson uh, talked about that and, and how important it is for the um, uh, LGBTQ uh, community. Just I was wondering if maybe you, you had a few thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I was really, so I was there and I was really touched by the way the chief did. I know he got a lot of support from both his uh, sworn and non-sworn members in preparing for that moment. And I think what's important about what he said today is that apology is one thing, and he was sincerely happy to do that, but now the work begins. And that is, um, you know, changing attitudes within uh, EPS if necessary, uh, finding, you know, charting a new course, and proving that to vulnerable communities in Edmonton. I know, you know, he didn't talk about it today, but uh, the LGBTQ community uh, has suffered under previous laws and previous um, uh, the way that uh, the law was uh, enforced in decades past. But I think you know what's what's important now is that um, uh, vulnerable people are given a voice, mm-hmm. and, and 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 I think what he was hinting at is you know what other vulnerable communities. Uh, does the EPS now have to do outreach to? And it's certainly in the Indigenous community is clearly in his mind. And, uh, I, you know, what I know about Dale McPhee is when he was sworn in as the chief of police to uh, Indigenous chiefs from Saskatchewan, where he was well-known, came here mm-hmm. to be at his swearing-in. He, he has a remarkable record of building bridges into communities. Uh, he is Métis himself, which, of course, helps with you know credibility mm-hmm. but uh, he walks he walks his talk i think that's the important part and he's a very uh, open gregarious friendly man and i think you know to meet people that way uh is so important in everything we do to start with friendliness yeah and and it goes such a long way whether that person is homeless or the new premier whatever <laughs> it is right and we we all have our biases going into Absolutely. conversations and to swallow that a little bit and say, you know, let me meet this person on their own terms and and set aside what I think I know and be willing to learn something new. Well, Scott, um, we uh, you mentioned vulnerable communities. We talked uh, off the top, or I mentioned off the top, about uh, homelessness, and that's why we dialed you up this afternoon, because you asked for, for this report yeah. to, to come to council. Give me a little background on on where that came from and, and, and what it said. You know, as I'm reading it, I'm, I'm just like, oh, jeepers. And, and again, we know that people live in the River Valley, those numbers, though, are somewhat staggering, and the reasons for it. So, anyway, a yeah. lot to get to today, a lot to unfold. But why did you ask for it? Well, I think you know. Let me start with a premise mm. that um, there has been myths 
built into our culture that we don't even, I think, acknowledge often. And that, I actually had someone in my office do a little bit of research. You go back to Dickensian times in England, and this notion first appearing of the unworthy poor. (laughs) So you have somebody that's considered worthy, uh, uh, a, a woman with children whose husband is killed in an industrial accident, is seen as worthy Mm. you know she needs our care and attention as a community but then somebody who is of um, an age where they can work and earn a living uh, that's what they should be doing and therefore we see all these people that are homeless they're not working so what is what is really going on here we can believe uh, and i think there's you know again built into our culture is a belief that those people need to pull their own weight but I, you know, in my research and in all the testimony I've heard is that we have people in the 480 mentioned in that report living rough or living in the River Valley. And by living rough, it's a term they mean they're living in back alleys, they're living in cardboard boxes, um, they're sort of finding shelter wherever they can. Those people are sort of the most uh, damaged. They probably suffer mental illness Mm. uh, or trauma from their life. And we're starting to recognize more and more that psychological trauma is like a physical trauma. Mm -hmm. You need to heal, but with psychological trauma, we have not found easy ways for people to heal from those injuries. And, you know, it startled me the first time I heard this of the roughly 2,000 people in Edmonton that are considered homeless, about 300 are former military vets. Mm-hmm. So, so, this, so they were traumatized at some point in their military careers, but for others, it might have been a childhood in a home with extreme poverty, uh, with... Um, addictions issues and you know i always think we need to start that way with imagine a baby in that home uh mom's uh maybe passed out on the couch and dad's screaming at her and that's a fairly typical uh situation for that young child now add 20 years to that child yeah and they're staggering down the street at us asking for money looking disheveled hygiene bad and we judge them right and and, and i've done it i'm not immune to this and yet, so they're damaged, they're ill. And I think we need to look at different systems. So we know that housing and healthcare or social services need to be applied in that issue, but we've traditionally used the criminal justice system. <laughs> and and that's a very blunt system and yeah. it's, it's not healing, nor, nor, nor is it intended to be. So anyways, we have societal underpinnings to this and it drives me a little crazy uh, because I think Canadians are generally very compassionate uh, people. And if we can push the myths aside and they could understand what's really happened to these people in their lives, I think they would demand of us as politicians look after those people. Well, I think, you know, y- y- your work as a city councillor before that, you were a journalist for a very long time. You know, I've been, uh, I've been in this business now coming up 30, 30 years. We both did stories on, on homelessness or prostitution, whatever it was. But we know yeah. that a lot of those issues, and, and this one, uh, homelessness, um, and I and it, maybe this is just an easy way of saying it, and it's been used often, uh, often, but it's like an onion. There's so many layers. You just peel back one. There's more, there's more there's more. 
anymore. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of folks out there that says, hey, hey, you know what? This is where I'm hap- happy. I'm just going to go live on the street because this is what I, I've oh. chosen to do. There's been all sorts of things that have led them to that place. And now that they're there, what do we do about it? Now, this report um, talking about was the 486 that yeah. were living yeah. rough. And, and we have shelters in Edmonton, Scott. We yeah. have them. They're not necessarily being used. They're not at capacity all the time. Why is that? So some of them are full. The ones that allow intoxicated individuals yeah. in, those tend to be full. The major shelter in town is that I think it's often at about 70%. And So you're talking about Hope, Hope Mission? Yeah. Okay. And one of the, so there's several issues at play here. One of them is that it's not 24-7. Mm. Uh, they have to line up to get in in the evening. They get in and then they get evicted at 6 in the morning. And my problem with that model is those people, A, have not had a good night's sleep, and they're evicted out into the greater downtown area. And we often, you know, we've probably all seen somebody sleeping in a park or a park bench or something. And and, and our automatic response is, you know, sort of uh, those people. But... In fact, they have good reason why they want to go find a place to lay down and sleep because they didn't have sleep the night before. So that that sort of perpetuates these myths I talked about earlier. So I think we need a model that runs 24-7. I think Hope Mission is open to that. I think it's going to require more funding from the province, though, to do that. There are some issues around the religious... Yeah. Um, um, What's the word I want? It's a religious inst- charity that runs that. Mm-hmm. It's a religious charity that runs hope. And traditionally, there's been uh, preaching and proselytizing. And what I've heard, uh, the testimony to me is that can be very, that can be re-traumatizing to people who are, um, you know, sort of either through generational trauma, the yeah. residential school. Yeah. I don't know how much to put on that. I think that if Hope Mission is involved with that, I think their programming should allow for some uh, of their programming around uh, Christian-based teaching. I don't have any problem with that. Mm-hmm. But maybe there has to be options for those who would find that uh, disturbing. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about that as I was waiting on the phone. If I had to go to a shelter and it was it was calgary flames mythology all the time i'd be upset by that you know what i mean um and i'm not trying to make mock of this at all but for some people that is off-putting and they're so they're going to the river valley oh the other problem is couples can't stay in the hope mission yeah it's female isn't it yeah yeah and then you know uh because of this really desperate lifestyle they leave and we've all seen this people pushing around a shopping cart with all the worldly goods and there's no storage at Hope Mission for that. So people are afraid of losing all the worldly goods. Uh, They feel uh, they have more freedom and they even feel safer in the River Valley. Well, they're going to choose that over our current shelter system. So I think it's on government uh, to work with Hope Mission and hopefully Hope Mission to to welcome that sort of input and bring the technology of the day, if you will, up, up to where we where it needs to be. Uh, I think you know we've done shelters largely the same way for a hundred years. If and and we need to update our system, and I think in doing that, I mean, and, and, and sorry for going on and on no, here, okay. Jillian. But one of the things that I don't think people realize is if we do this well, and if the city 
can fulfill its commitment with investment from the province and feds to build 900 units of permanent supportive housing, we are going to save millions every year. Scott, pause, I'm going to pause you right there because I need yeah. to take a break and I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk about that permanent housing. I know I, I talked to someone recently about um, a permanent housing, small small uh, units for, for veterans, homeless veterans, yeah. and I know this is being talked about and it's being successful elsewhere. I want to pick your brain on it right after this. Hold the line, okay, Scott? Thanks. Ward 6 City Councillor Scott McCain joining me on the line this afternoon. We're talking about uh, homelessness in the city of Edmonton and um, the folks who are doing what they call sleeping rough. That's It's over 400 people who are um, sleeping in the River Valley, who are in, in alleyways, that sort of thing. And and Councillor McKean um, wants to get moving on uh, helping those folks who maybe aren't comfortable sleeping in a shelter, don't want to go there for numerous reasons. They list, and he touched on them, you know, possessions, pets, policies, pets, partners, uh, the, the P's that you want if you want to do it that way. Um, but Councillor McKean, you're, you're talking about... Um, wanting to build some some permanent supportive housing what does that look like and how do we do that so only if you call me scott from now on Jalen. we've <laughs> known each other too long to use titles um so permanent supportive housing we have a really good example in the macaulay community ambrose place yeah uh it's it's there's about 50 in there um and they all have their they're either individual apartments or apartments with two in them but there's um, gathering space for, uh, there's like a cafeteria, there's a recreational uh, advisor there, there's, there's a smudge room. It's very much indigenous themed. Um, and the stories there I've heard are of people that were, you know, I, I often uh, pepper my speeches by saying if you treat people like stray animals, they mm-hmm. eventually become like stray animals. Mm-hmm. And so there were people that were very much their humanity was gone. Mm. And with proper care and love and attention and food and warmth and shelter, they've returned to their humanity. Mm. And, and, but those are wonderful, heartwarming stories. And, and I hope that the vast majority of us are touched by those and want to do the right thing by people who are mentally ill, chronically addicted, traumatized, who are living on the streets. But there's another angle here, mm. and that is... Ambrose Place is saving systems, provincial and municipal systems, millions each year. How so? Because those, the people that are living rough on the street, um, perhaps breaking into garages or stealing bikes to buy illicit drugs or alcohol or Listerine or whatever it is, uh, represent, um, the, the cops say about one-third of their resources go to dealing with social disorder, which is the sort of um, polite society's way of talking about homelessness and its side effects, huh. including prostitution and, and all these petty crimes around it and drug dealing. And, and um, so there's that element. Uh, you know, nearly half the people going into the Royal Alex emergency are homeless or street involved. Yeah. These are huge costs. The city spent, I think it was 2016, $1.7 million cleaning up homeless camps. Yeah. All these things are a chasing our tail thing too, right? The catch and release, which is sometimes talked about in the criminal justice system. People aren't doing serious enough crime to incarcerate, so judges don't want to do that, so they get released. And the police pick them up over and over again. And 
and these systems are extremely expensive. Personally, I'd rather have these people properly housed with proper supports so our emergency rooms could deal with perhaps more chronic or more um, prominent issues, um, and the police could deal with the real bad guys. How are places like Ambrose Place paid for, If you ta- or if you're talking about you know, 600 units of permanent supportive housing over the next four years, you'd mention about prefab units, possibly modular units. Like, How is that paid for? The city's role, first of all, and it, you know, and I got to give my uh, colleague, Councillor Michael Walters, a lot of credit. He got all the housing providers together so we can work as a team. And we've, we, the city is now assembling sites. The city's role here will be the land yep. and the public engagement processes. The province and the feds are are constitutionally responsible for housing, health care, and social services. Mm-hmm. So that we want them to step in with the, the, the dollars for the building and operating dollars. Mm. Doesn't mean the city will not chip in here and there for that stuff too, but property taxpayers are already up to their, you know, they've had enough. Yeah, you bet. And, and every time we raise property taxes to deal with homelessness, we would push some people out of their homes, which would be counterproductive. So we really, you know, the, 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 both the federal government and the provincial government have talked about these major investments in, in, in housing they're going to do or they're poised to do, but we haven't seen it come to Edmonton. Partly our fault. Partly that we did not have our act together in Edmonton. We've got our act together now, but the last provincial government, there was $1.2 billion um, that was talked about. Well, $800 million of that went to rural areas for seniors' housing mm-hmm. and refurbishing seniors' housing, which is a need. You know, we, we shouldn't be fighting between those jurisdictions. But again, Edmonton didn't get the amount of investment it needed to get those at least right away those 480 people out of the river valley out of, off our parks out of our back alleys into proper housing and reducing all those side effects and all those costs yeah that we're all paying for one way or another so any plans or any you know plans in the, in in the works to talk with premier kenny Yes. Okay. I mean, I think there's, we have, you know, we have allies. I certainly, uh, I met one of the ministers last night and <laughs> made it very clear that, you know, we want them to feel completely welcome in Edmonton. The, the new government members and ministers that, yes, there is a kind of an orange hue <laughs> to the city. And, I and I respect the work of all these people. But we don't want the new government to feel like, as Ralph Klein stated at times, that he didn't feel completely comfortable in Edmonton. Mm. We are Albertans. We want to save the provincial government a bunch of money on health care. So policing is our major cost. Health care is their major cost. We've got a way to reduce both those costs, and that is called permanent supportive housing. And I'm hoping that, you know, Mr. Kenny has a, has a solid reputation as a bit of a, a data nerd, a bit of a policy wonk. Yep very smart man so if we can provide the right evidence to him and the right projects to him i'm sure that we can convince him that this is a way to not only save money but also um offer the you know the duty of care we have to our most vulnerable citizens scott mckean joining me this afternoon ward six city councillor scott i look forward to watching where this goes and we'll talk about it again sometime soon okay i hope so thanks a lot
lot, Jaylen. Yeah, have a great weekend. All right, it's 228. A couple of your texts coming in. It says, if you want homeless people to integrate back into, quote, unquote, normal society, they have to become part of a community, which means they have to be housed in communal setting, uh, interact with other people, um, many battle mental illness, and that comes, and with that comes a need for support. Ideally, a co-optile situation would be best suited. In that kind of situation, they have ownership and accountability of where they live, and it helps give purpose. And that's exactly what Councillor McKean is talking about.